So there's an abandoned site in a small town called Blankenburg or Moiderburg, about an hour outside Berlin. And in this site are the rooms of a, a barracks for the notorious police force linked with the Stasi that handled the dirty work of policing Cold War East Germany. And last year, actually I guess it's probably two years ago now, I visited Berlin to research the wall in the mind. And at the time, the story was very, very loosely formed in my head. It was something about this period of transition in Germany and how it's given Germany a, u- a unique position in the cultural conflict that's gone on in the last three decades. So there's a book that came out, which I have here, came out this year from David Graeber, who is an anthropologist and I guess you could call him a contemporary intellectual who writes about what it is like to live and work in the world today. And the book is called The Utopia of Rules on Technology, Stupidity and the Secret Joys of Bureaucracy. And Graeber is talking about, in many different ways, the structure and the experience of living in a bureaucratic society, as ours is. And and arguably we live in the most bureaucratised society of all time. We think of East Germany under the Stasi as this terribly imprisoning, mentally locked down society. But in a very real way, we all live in societies like that now. Because in a greater sense than ever before, governance and work uh, interfere with our lives. And they interfere with our lives in ways that make our lives less tangible and more affixed on the screen and concerned with forms and the bureaucracy that is entailed by by the increased focus on public safety and all this kind of stuff. So I think that because Berlin had this history and Germany had this history of this really brutal repression at the tail end of the Cold War in a state that was far more repressive than than almost any other, far more say than than Russia. And in fact, Gorbachev right before the end of the the Cold War visited Berlin and when the protesters in Berlin and in Leipzig came to the streets in September 1989 they were chanting Gorby help us Gorby save us because Gorbachev was seen as his harbinger of change and what they didn't realize was that really at that by that point despite the huge number of Soviet troops barracked in East Berlin and, and throughout East Germany Russia didn't have a whole lot of say the DDR was already very independent and very repressive and run by a cabal of very old men who lived in a literally in a luxury village separated from the rest of the city of Berlin where they had all the modern conveniences uh, empowered by a state secret service, the Stasi, that had many different branches and many responsibilities and was far more repressive and pervasive than any other, certainly than the KGB. But today's world we've come to realise through the revelations of people like Julian Assange and Edward Snowden that we live in a surveillance state as well, a state enabled by our transition to computing. And the technology of surveillance is embedded in everyday life. The computer, the laptop I'm sitting in front of, has a camera and a microphone that can be trivially listened in on and looked in on by any intelligence service who wish to. 
the phone that I use has a microphone in it, as just yours, all, all smartphones do, that's permanently on and permanently able to transmit and receive voice to any intelligence service. And that's why I think Berlin's inoculation and Germany's inoculation has, despite Angela Merkel and the contemporary German Secret Service, despite their collusion with, with the spying that Edward Snowden reported, it has inculcated the city to some extent so that when you go there, there is a feeling of liberation which still exists despite all the shutdowns of the squats, which our drama talks about a lot too. And it's a place that reminds you that it doesn't have to feel like this. We've come to feel in the modern world so watched and so controlled and so careful that we can't even notice that, that that's how we feel. It's so all-encompassing. It's like God in the medieval world. And the idea of atheism in, in the medieval world was impossible to conceive of, that you literally, you talk about medieval writers who, who, who question the existence of God, you're talking about a handful of people, because it was just so anathema to the worldview. And our worldview today is so twinged with capitalist realism with the prison of this is how things must be economically this is how we must deal with one another socially and this is how we must behave and be policed for public safety that when you go somewhere like berlin it's a shock you feel suddenly liberated even though your liberation is only relative and of course it's a city and it's policed and it's security theater like everywhere else but it's it's less it's less entrenched and so when I went there a year or two ago, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to visit this, this barracks. What happened there was one night during the protests in Berlin, hundreds of prisoners were arrested and taken to this barracks at, at Blankenberg and, and they were beaten and, and, and tortured and released most of them in the next couple of days. But it's one of these kind of grave final crimes of the regime. These people of all ages and employments who were rising up merely to ask for the opening of the borders not even most of them democracy, they just wanted to be able to travel and to leave if they if they had to or could, were beaten and tortured. And it was one of the things that brought the state down because when ordinary people were being bullied and, and tortured en masse, ever more people came to join in the protests. And so I visited this place and it's a very strange place. It's it's preserved. It's it's damaged, just like the, the Stasi offices was raided by protesters and ironically by many Stasi officers in disguise as protesters who were there to erase evidence of the crimes of the state. All the same, and the windows are broken, it's been left to go to ruin, but it has never been demolished because there are so many ruined. There's still ruined buildings in Berlin from World War II. And while the main areas at the centre of the city, Potsdamer Platz, and, and many of these areas have, have, have erased the evidence of the wall, there are still places, especially on the outskirts, you know, places like this, barracks that are just, it could have been last year, it could have been six months ago. And there's graffiti and there's rubble and there's broken windows, but the place is as it was. And it is eerie. And something happened when I went there. You know, I recorded the sounds of the, the space and I, the eerie feeling that attends such places, whether it's something that you project or something that exists there, who, who can say? But I found something in the ruins. And that thing that I found was to become a sort of central prop in the mystery, a Maltese falcon, you know, uh, and it's an identity card. And on the identity card is the name. I'm, I'm not going to give out the name because it's a real person. The name of someone who worked 
in there. And it just goes to show how recently all of this happened and how the past is still with us. As Utah Phillips famously said, the past didn't go anywhere. And this identity card is for a woman who's still alive. I looked her up. She's on Facebook. She worked as a cook, you know, as 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 a chef. She worked in the attendant offices because there was a school there in the compound as well, or a college. So this character grew in my head and, and it becomes part of the drama that, that our protagonist, Claire, is going to... She was arrested in the protest. She was beaten in this barracks and she's going back and she discovers an identity card and tracks down someone who can she hopes can tell her some of what happened to her. It's an incredible thrill to touch history in that way and a reminder that we are so close all the time to the kind of totalitarianism, the kind of brutality that reigned in East Germany. And we see it ourselves in the raids on squats in Dublin, in Ireland, and in the raids on squats that have occurred throughout the former East Berlin in the past decades and, and the former West Berlin and there were squats in Friedrichshain in Neukölln in Oranienstrasse huge squats where people lived and created art and culture and tried to have an alternative and most of them have been raided uh, partially because that kind of life any kind of life free of the bureaucracy is antithetical to our culture it cannot be tolerated and partly because the buildings are valuable and there's an initiative which we talk about in the series to turn Berlin to a modern Media spree, it's called a modern city fit for business, and, and spree is the river that runs through the city. So that's a taste of how we connect with real history. And if you're more interested in the story, there's a great website called Abandoned Berlin. And if you look up um, Blankenburg and Abandoned Berlin on Google, you can, uh, you can see some photographs of the site of the barracks and how it looks today. And if you go to Berlin, if you're lucky enough to visit Berlin, it's a wonderful city. I'd recommend taking the trip out to Blankenburg and seeing the space for yourself. It's an important reminder, I think, of the fact that we can change things, that bad as things were in East Berlin, and it was neighbour spying on neighbour. It was one in five people in the population actively spying on their neighbours, fathers spying on sons, mothers spying on daughters. But it changed. It was taken down. It was, it was reimagined. And for a brief time, that reimagining was a space that opened in the mind before the wall came back up, the wall that exists in all our minds. And you can find out more about the wall in the mind and hear the whole series, scene by scene or episode by episode, at garethstack.com. <laughs>